welcome to Tab's Two Cents, a show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Joe. Good to see you again. Yeah, glad to have you back. So last Good time you were on the show, we talked about dividends, but you mentioned that that was just a part of a balanced portfolio. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about different options for investors, the first of which being index funds. Yeah, index funds are uh, um, a really great way, especially for uh, people who might be starting off who may feel a little bit intimidated um, by, you know, how to invest, right? It's a, it's a really low cost way of getting started. And uh, while maybe you, you, you try and figure another investment strategy out, right? So index funds are very simply, they're funds that their aim is to replicate a known index. So we've got some great indexes all around the world that you can use. Some of the top ones being the S&P 500 down in the States, which is a benchmark. There's the Dow. I prefer the, fi- the S&P 500. It's just a much broader index. Um, you know, you can do the NASDAQ, the TSX 60. There's international ones, emerging market funds, you know. There are a lot of different index choices. Now, the index funds differentiate from some of the other investment vehicles in a couple of ways, right? So index funds, typically, um, when you're buying an index fund, you're buying something that isn't traded like a stock. It's traded more like a mutual fund, okay? So it usually sets its price at the close of business at the end of the day. So if you've ever bought a mutual fund before, you know that you just don't trade mutual funds like by the hour like a stock. You can't just get in and out of them a few times a day. You can basically buy them at the end of the day, the price is set. If you sell it, same thing, put in your order and the order will be settled uh, once a day. Um, there are some index funds that, uh, you know, you can own the exact same security in an index fund form or that fund company may also sell um, an ETF equivalent of it, right? Exactly the same investments just two slightly different philosophies. So index funds, I can't say enough good things about them. A really great way to diversify yourself right away, very, very easily, very, very low cost. Um, If I had to say anything negative about index fund, to tell you the truth, I'm really not thinking of a lot of those things, except for possibly, um, you know, you're not gonna be able to trade. Some people like to know exactly what they're buying something at and what they're selling at, right? Uh, some people like to try and take advantage of market swings and they like to do that quickly. So sometimes, an index, if you're that type of person who wants that flexibility, you might be looking for a different product other than an index fund. But I think for most people, for most investors, especially new investors, you know, I think it's better to have a longer term view and to just uh, start investing in an index fund immediately, start dollar cost averaging into it, put a little bit of money every every month for every few months into just one fund, automate it if you can. I think it just makes things very simple. Some of the greatest investors in the world, their investment advice to people, most people, is to just buy an index fund. Why? Because index funds, um, in a lot of cases, can outperform actively managed money. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't a, a great place for actively managed money. I, I believe there is, and we may be entering a time in the investment world where actively managed funds will do better than index funds, right? So I believe in having a, they, an index fund can serve a, a core um, a core position in most portfolios. If you take a look at large pension plans, a lot of large pension plans allocate a good chunk of their stock investments 
or equity investments to index funds. And why do they do that? It's a very efficient way of doing things. And, uh, you know, sometimes actively managed money can outperform indexes, but a lot of the times they don't. So index just indexing just makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I agree. I think some of the sticking points for newer investors are they get caught up sort of in the difference between an index fund and an ETF that tracks an index fund. And they're also not quite sure exactly what these indices offer. So I wonder if you could sort of, you know, go through the top four, S&P 500, NASDAQ, Dow, um, TSX, whatever, and just sort of outline the pros and cons to those indices and also the different differentiating factors between an ETF that tracks an index and the index fund. Yeah. So, uh, you know, some of the biggest indices you're going to find, as you, as we already talked about, you know, we talked about the S&P 500. I really like that one. If you're trying to look for exposure to the States, that's a great one, right? It covers 500 of the biggest companies in America. You get broad diversification there, right? Really broad diversification and for typically fairly, fairly, uh, you know, inexpensive cost. Um, you know, the Dow 30 is, um, some people have said they're not really big fans of the Dow 30, right? It's only 30 stocks. Um, those stocks have changed over the years. Um, um, I, I personally just don't like it without kind of pulling it up and going over all the stocks that are in it. I think it's going to be kind of uh, hard to, uh, to demonstrate exactly why. Um, you know, the NASDAQ, you're talking about more techie stuff, right? Um, you're, you're getting into some of those, uh, that world of sometimes really big uh, growth companies where the valuations can get a little bit, a uh, little bit big. So I think you got to be careful. NASDAQ's a great, NASDAQ index is a great way to kind of, you know, get that diversification and spread the money around. Although you can, you can buy some, uh, funds, some very specific index funds that will concentrate and maybe a, a subset of some of these indices, right? Um, um, for example, you could probably buy an index fund that just looks at the highest dividend pairs in the S&P 500, right? Or um, maybe they have some other type of focus. Um, so you can buy specialty products like that, probably a little bit higher cost. But if that's kind of the niche of investing you want to go to, you can go to those. Now, now index funds do differentiate from the ETFs, so exchange-traded funds, is that in that the exchange-traded funds in the index they can be exactly the same product, but the way you buy them and sell them is just a little different. So, for example, Fidelity offers, uh, you know, an S&P 500 index uh, index fund, or you can buy their ETF, which is exactly the same product. It's just sold as an ETF, so you can sell it, you know, and trade it like a stock. So you, I could go in this morning, I could put in an order for 100 shares, I could get it within minutes or seconds. And then I could sell it again in a couple minutes, right? So that's that's the flexibility that an ETF gets you over an index uh, fund. Um, again, there are a myriad of different ETFs to choose from. I mean, there are probably more ETFs than there are stocks <laughs> to pick from in some cases, right? Um, so, you know, I, I think going for the uh, standard indices, the emerging market, uh, you know, standard index, the S&P 500, the Canadian one, there's world indices you can pick to, right? So if you really are looking to just have broad diversification around the world, 
you can buy one fund, it will buy the entire world, including Canada. Or you can buy some of them that have everything but Canada and but maybe the Canada and US, right? So uh, there's so many products out there, Joe. I mean, you really just got to find one and then and then say, this is what I'm going to own. And the good thing about it is you can change your mind later on, right? So as your investment knowledge grows, uh, as you mature as an investor, you learn more. Maybe you decide that, hey, there's a, there's another one of these funds I would prefer to be in. Or maybe you just say, I have enough in that one. I'm going to start into this area, other area, right? So there's some that are uh, hedged against currencies, um, you know, and how they do that is usually use a, a variety of derivatives um, to try and recreate the returns of the index, right? So uh, so as far as an ETF, ETFs and in index funds are, you know, I would say they're very, very similar. The biggest difference is really in how you trade them, how you buy them, how you sell them. Right. The ETFs offer, of course, a little more flexibility with the buying and the selling very quickly if you're that type of investor. But I say, for, again, for the average Joe out there, I would I would recommend probably best to just get into a low cost index fund. Um, you know, if you do want to do rapid trading, of course, you'd go with the ETF. But for most of us who have a long term view, and I think that's what investing should be is more of a longer term view. I think an index fund more than meets our needs. Right. I agree. And they're generally safe investments in the sense that they're very diversified. And that brings me to the next question is, you mentioned it's hard to find cons with index funds, and I agree, but there are some things that are offered with mutual funds that you don't get with index funds. For example, you could get a little bit of active management, you could get some hedging to the up and downside. I wonder if you could talk about some pros to mutual funds, even though their fees are generally higher than uh, ETF index. As you point out, the fees are generally higher, right? It's a different type of investing. And, and uh, you know, I, I think there is a place for index funds in almost all portfolios. And like I said before, you know, a lot of the, the, the bigger pension pl uh, plans in the world have a whole section devoted to ETFs or index funds, but they also have actively managed funds, right? So, Mutual funds, so first off, let's just say that an index fund really is a form of mutual funds, okay? But a mutual fund is a much bigger category as well, where you can get away from index investing. So a mutual fund that replicates an index is called an index mutual fund, right? And those are the ones we talked about earlier. But there is actively managed uh, funds that we call our mutual funds that... You know, they go from index funds, but they also go to specialty areas. So they may take an index and then only focus on the dividend pairs. And that would be called the dividend, right? Dividend mutual fund, right? It focuses on dividends, maybe high yielding dividends. Uh, another one might be another type of mutual fund would be possibly a dividend growth mutual fund. So that would look at companies that are growing their dividends over a number of years. Some may offer value, right? And say, we're only going to buy value stocks that we, we use and select using very standard value, uh, you know, uh, measurements or maybe growth, right? Um, there's really a lot of different um, uh, methodologies that can be used, but it's all actively managed. It's all someone taking a strategy. And a lot of times when you read the uh, prospectus of the mutual fund, they'll describe that strategy fairly clearly, right? So if you're a novice investor, you know, uh, you know, I think sticking to indexes is is not a bad thing. It can play a, a good part in your portfolio. 
Um, but there is a time and a place, I think, for actively managed funds where actively managed funds can outperform, you know, an index, especially once you start to get into a really lofty, lofty areas, right? So if you're, uh, especially when you get international, right, if you're investing in Canada and you're investing in the United States, um, you know, we have very uh, mature rules, uh, security exchange rules, uh, reporting rules. There's a lot of good infrastructure that I think protects an investor. When you start to go international, I think that's where sometimes, uh, you know, actively managed money, at least to me, is worth paying for, right? Don't get me wrong. I also invest in indexes uh, internationally, but uh, I do believe that actively managed funds can uh, sometimes be a little bit smarter about, you know, what they're trying to get especially if there's a, you know, political instability. If you're looking at markets that maybe are controlled by their governments uh, too closely. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the rest of the world, um, and I'm not talking about Europe, really, um, uh, they do not have the standards to protect investors like we do here in Canada. So sometimes paying for that uh, active component to protect you is a, is a, is a good investment. I agree. I, I really think a lot of it is to do with the prospectus of the fund. So I had a guest on Ben Hammond. We talked about ESG, for example, and he said huh. a mutual fund would be a great way to get exposure to certain ESG factors that you would want to maintain in your portfolio. Because now what's an ESG, Joe? I'm sorry, I'm not the... It's environmental, social, and governance. So uh, yes. any of those three aspects that, you know, perhaps you really want to focus on the social, social yep. side of your investments and you want to make sure that these companies yep. are up to the par, up to the yep. level that you expect, these mutual okay. funds will make sure that they are and if they fall off, they'll drop them. So it's and, good and, to be active for that great. kind of... Thing. Absolutely, and I mean, I, as as we're evolving as a society, right? That's that's a that's a great one, right? Some people just don't want to have anything to do with uh, fossil fuels um, or anything that would hurt the environment or animals or you know what have you, right? Um, um, having said that, um, you know there are so many products out there that it's it it, it it's almost uh, dizzying. It could be very intimidating, I think, to a lot of people who are. Are new to this there's so many options out there you know and uh, i think you just always got to come back to uh, to basics right remember what you're trying to do and if you have some of those rules those esgs that you are really important to you that you value then you know what there's likely a company out there that can help you right uh, so that you can sleep at night and invest in the things that you uh, you believe in yeah absolutely and not to further the conversation into intimidating waters, but maybe we can yeah. talk a little about individual stocks and what are some yeah. of the pros and cons of owning individual stocks in comparison to index? Individual stock ownership is, uh, is uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different world, right? So buying a mutual fund index or ETF, when you do that, you generally get very good diversification and you get it in one product, right? I could go out and buy one index fund that covers the entire world. I can be very diversified, very, very low fees. And it's really kind of a couch potato. Uh, I, I mean, I know some people that have one or three mutual funds and that is it, that covers, that's, it's so simple. It's as simple as that, right? And you can have 
all the investment you ever need and do very well with just those one to three stocks and uh, that cover a broad range of the world. Um, having said that, um, you know, you can buy stocks individually. And, you know, for me, I feel more comfortable buying stocks in Canada and the States where I, where it's quite easy to buy the stocks if you had a, have an online trading accounts. Um, for some people, I think uh, it can be a little bit intimidating because of, again, the number of stocks. Maybe they don't know a lot about uh, stock uh, measurements, uh, ways to value a stock. Um, you know, if you're just hanging on a water cooler and hearing people talk about a stock and, oh, I'm going to jump into that, and you don't really have a whole lot extra to go on, I would caution you that maybe that's not a great idea, right? Um, you know, when people are talking around the water cooler, you know, that that's all great. It's great to exchange information, but sometimes uh, we get carried away with uh, with those conversations, right? And it can do a lot of a lot of harm. Let's let's take a look at what's happened to some of the growth stocks right now. So here we are at the start of January, and we've had a, a number of growth stocks that have been, you know, cut down significantly, right? And uh, market sentiment, uh, fear of interest rates rising, um, for a myriad of reasons. Maybe it's that people just want to take a little bit of profits off the table. But what's happening is uh, is very, very painful to people who are just getting into the market, okay? And uh, when you're buying high-valued stocks, you've, you've got to, uh, I think, temper yourself a little bit. So getting into individual stocks is not hard, but I think there is a, a, a bit of education that you should do yourself, right? You should be trying to learn about stocks and doing that by investing in indices and ETFs and mutual funds first um, isn't a bad way to start, right? You can always take a look at what some of the top holdings of those funds are, uh, that, ex that index or that uh, mutual fund you have or the ETF, and you can start to get a feel for how these companies invest that money and where you may have some special knowledge or some co a comfort level. Um, you know what? You can start to invest directly in stocks yourself very, very cheaply. And um, I mean, you can buy a, a let's, let's take a TD Bank, for instance. You can buy $1,000 of TD Bank t uh, tomorrow when the market's open. And you can buy that and pay zero to 10 bucks in trading commissions. And you can own that stock for 20, 30 years and never pay a dime of commission, right? So indiv individual stock ownership is very, very doable. I'd, I'd say it's probably a good idea to have an understanding of what these stocks do and uh, to educate yourself before dipping your foot into uh, that ocean of uh, direct stock ownership. It's It can be very rewarding. If you don't have time to uh, invest in this, I would say you're probably better off doing uh, ETFs, uh, indices, index funds, or mutual funds. Um, but the average investor these days certainly can go directly into stocks and you can diversify yourself very, very easily. Um, even within Canada, you know, with uh, an investment in five to 10 stocks, you can diversify yourself throughout all the sectors and throughout a lot of the world. Because a lot of our Canadian uh, uh, companies, let's take TD Bank, for example, again, that does more than 50% of its business in the States. So you get broad, broad exposure right through that bank to the States. And if you bought some, you know, another something like Power Financial, 
again, you're getting diversified. It's it's basically its own little mutual fund in one in one stock, right? Um, and and actually, that's that's probably a good point to talk about. There are there are some stocks that you can buy directly that are onto themselves a myriad of businesses, right? One of the ones that comes to mind is Berkshire Hathaway, right? So you buy a company like Berkshire Hathaway that Warren Buffett manages along with Charlie Munger. Um, you know, that that is just a, it's a monster when you take a look at all the stuff that they own, right? They own direct stocks and then huge companies. You know, they own outright entire businesses. They <laughs> And the whole backbone of the entire business is that it's an insurance company, right? Or a reinsurance company. So it's it's really a, uh, you're, you're really buying something that's, uh, uh, it is a, its own mutual fund, if you ask me, right? And there are some Canadian equivalent companies such as Brookfield Asset Management um, and a number of others that are, I don't want to say they're similar to Berkshire Hathaway, but they they are, are multi-pronged, right? They are very diverse onto themselves. So I, I think stock ownership is a, is a great route, especially for someone who's willing to put a little bit of time into it. But if, if you really don't have the propensity or you don't have the interest, you don't have the time, you know, life is busy, right? You have to choose the things that you can be good at. And not everybody can be good at stock investing. I think you got to be very honest with yourself if it's not something you're good at. And you can tell usually pretty fast. I mean, I, I remember making a mistake probably 26, 27 years ago. Uh, some of these penny stocks are being pumped by investment houses, right? You know, I thought, hey, I'll, I'll take a ride on this train and bought a stock. It was, I can't remember what the name of the stock was now. And, uh, you know, it, it doubled. So the guy calls to sell me something else. And I say, you know what? I'd really like to sell that first stock that I uh, I bought. It's doubled, you know what? And I'll take the gains and we'll put in this new company. Well, you know what? He talked me into just putting a little more money into this new company. Now, it was only a little bit of money, you know, Um but it was a very important lesson for me. Okay, so and that's the other thing too. When you when you buy individual stocks, you know you're 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 taking I think the the onus on yourself, um, and you're going to make mistakes. And and by no means uh, should you punish yourself because the professionals make lots of mistakes too. Okay, and and one of the greatest investors of all time, Warren Buffett. It should be like a class to read a Berkshire Hathaway annual report for people because he goes on about some of the biggest mistakes he's made that cost multiple billions of dollars. And he says, I made a mistake. And uh, if you're going to do direct stock ownership, sometimes you're going to make a bad call, right? Or maybe it's not even a bad call, but your stock price could be negatively impacted. And it doesn't mean that that business isn't a great business. It just means that the market isn't valuing it for some reason at that time. It could be because of interest rates. It could be because of, you know, maybe excessive debt. If it's excessive debt, then maybe you've got a problem on your hands. If it's just market sentiment, sometimes, you know, industries or type of stock go out of favor for a bit. And then you got to know enough to hold your convictions and say that I'm playing this value play. Um, it's just not being rewarded right now. But the underlying asset, I'm holding it for these reasons. And because of those reasons, I'm going to keep holding it, right? And then sometimes you just got to look yourself in the face and say that I made a mistake and I need to get out. (laughs) And you should get out, you know, uh, before uh, you do too much damage to yourself, right? So uh, um, like I said, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, I just made a mistake back in December. I 
I generally do not get into uh, growth stocks. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I, I do invest in growth stocks, but I don't like really high flyers. I don't like things with outrageous valuations. I don't like stocks that have a whole lot of hype that everybody are jumping on the bandwagon. But uh, I was doing a little bit of research on Lightspeed, and I decided to dip my toe into Lightspeed, you know. And, hey, I've got a bunch of rules, and I break them routinely, okay? <laughs> and when I do it, I generally kick myself. But my lesson here is don't catch a falling knife, right? When stocks are coming down, you know, uh, have a little bit of patience. Have a little bit of, uh, um, you know, have a little bit of self-control. And, uh, and before, you, this is something we, sh we need to talk about too. Before you start buying stocks, you should have an idea of what you're trying to uh, accomplish, right? So if you're going to get into direct stock ownership, you should kind of have a thesis that you're, you're following. You should have a reason. What am I trying to achieve? Am I trying to achieve diversification in the Canadian market, the world, the U.S. market? Uh, do you want to just focus on growth stocks? Uh, and you should, you should be looking for your niche, right? How am I going to pick these companies? Because as soon as you pick those companies, you should also have an idea for how they can be valued, right? Um, and and there, there are times to sell stocks, right? So even really good stocks, sometimes there is a, a uh, you know, a good point of exiting. And you should kind of understand what those exit points are when you buy the stock. Um, I, I never think that's a bad exercise. I think probably very few people do that, but it I think it it educates you and it gives you, um, you know, it forces you to kind of think very carefully about what you're doing because, you know, when you're buying a stock, to me, it's kind of like getting married, right? You're 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 trying to pick a long-term partner that you are going to spend many years with, hopefully, you know, and you're going to be rewarded for it as well. Um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, thank goodness trading a stock is very easy, okay? <laughs> Not like getting married. Um, but uh, yeah, stock, stock ownership can be very rewarding. It can be very trying. And, uh, you know, I would really highly recommend anybody to go do that to educate yourself. Talk to people. Join a group. Read some books. Okay, go online. There's lots of uh, information out there. Just be careful about some of the information that you get. Sometimes... Uh, you know, the information out there can be very, very biased, right? And uh, so getting back to the Lightspeed position. So Lightspeed has taken a big haircut. Lightspeed was probably chopped in, down by 66%, and I decided to step into the arena. But one of my rules with buying stocks is don't catch a falling knife, right? But I started to do my research, get a couple of uh, independent views, and uh, I decided to dip my toe into it. Now, it since has gone down like another, you know, 10, 12%. Not that big a deal, you know, but we'll see how that one turns out, Joe. I hear really good things about Lightspeed, and I am not educated on the stock, but I do know that that initial dip was a damaging short report, I believe. So who knows how much yeah. of that is true, depending on the report. Yeah, and that that's kind of the, uh, you know, we talked about the headwinds that companies can face and unfortunately some of these arbitrage situations and and uh these hedge funds can do a, a lot of hurt to the market to individual stocks i mean we've seen it before right and, and that's the type of thing where as an investor if, you're, if you are doing individual stocks i mean 
you need to put in a little bit of time to try and understand what's going on, right? That's why, you know what, giving it to actively manage people is not a bad idea. Sometimes in an index, that's one of the negatives about an index. I remember uh, going back years and years ago in Canada, you know, Nortel became, Nortel is a, a huge company in Canada, and it, it became a significant part of the index at one point. So big that it kind of slanted the whole index and really put that index. I mean, if you were an, an index investor and you own the TSS 60 at that time, you were massively exposed to this company, and that company ended up going to zero, right? So uh, that's a world of hurt on an index investor now. You know, I, I believe there's been some, uh, you know, we're smarter these days and we're probably protecting people a little bit more against stuff like that. But that's something to, uh, like Shopify, for example. I'm not sure what percentage of the market, the Canadian market Shopify is right now. But you know what? It might be getting a little bit ahead of itself, right? So that's where uh, you have to, uh, you know, as an investor, you have to learn sometimes that if an index is exposing you, maybe to know a little bit about the underlying stocks that are in there isn't a bad idea, right? So uh, if you have a professional who's managing your money, you'd think they would take care of that. But um, I propose, and this is news maybe to some people, but nobody cares about your investment money like you do. So it's always best, even if you have someone managing your money, educate yourself, okay? Um, uh, be able to ask some questions. Ask them to explain things to you. You should never really be buying anything that you don't understand, right? Um, and that was a rule I learned many, many years ago. Never, because well, what happened to me is I bought a limited partnership oh, probably close to 30 years ago. And it ended up being a good investment. But at the time, I really did not know exactly what I was buying. It was only years later that I, I started to connect the dots. It was one of these... Uh, funds where you could invest, you know, a few thousand dollars into this limited partnership and you'd get to write off the value of the limited partnership over a few years. And then in exchange for that money you, you gave them, you got a piece of what we called um, rear loaded mutual funds. Okay. So you'd get like a 1% fee per year from all the, all the funds that was used to uh, that my money was used to fund the fees for, I would get in exchange 1% back to this limited partnership or, or any early redemption fees. So some of these mutual funds had like a 7% redemption fee if you sold them within the first year of ownership, right? And then six, five. So, uh, I mean, you start to get into some complicated things. You know what? Don't, don't go there, right? You should be able to understand and talk about what the thesis is for every investment you own, whether it's a stock, whether it's a mutual fund, an index fund, right? Um, just, uh, I just came to mind, Joe, sorry. Yeah, I think a lot of people for the basic, I know I listen to Jim Cramer sometimes and, you know, <laughs> depending sell, on your- Sell, sell, <laughs> Yes, depending on your perception of him, you can take How's his advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's yeah. very entertaining. I mean, I've watched yeah. him a few times myself. <laughs> You know, you can take his advice for what it is. He's an entertainer, but he does say yeah. everybody's first $10,000 should go into an index fund. And whether it's 10000 whether it's 1000 it's going to depend on how much money somebody has. But yeah. I have to agree. I think it's a great way to start, and it's a great way to see how the markets work because 
regardless of how diversified they are, index funds can still be very volatile. And what I mean by that is they go up and down with the market cycles. So I think, you know, a good way for people to start is with real money and index funds and then kind of watch the market, see how you feel when it goes down. If it's gut wrenching, maybe mutual actively managed mutual funds are more for you. Yeah. That, that gut wrenching feeling it's, it's a, it's a very personal thing, but uh, you know what, you know, the best thing you can do when a market dives is usually, you know, pony up and uh, that's, you know, what you buy things for matters, right? The price you pay for things is important. And dollar cost averaging, I think, is a great way of, of getting into things. But if uh, you're dollar cost averaging and all of a sudden the market happens to die by 10, 20, 30%, I kind of view it as a, as a sale, you know? And uh, generally, that's what I do. And, uh, you know, p- pick up a little, maybe accelerate your buying a little bit if you got a little bit of cash there, right? So uh, it, it sometimes, one of the uh, the things we have to do as investors is fight our own emotions, right? And uh, I think some of the some of the people who are best at this don't look at their stocks every minute, every day. You know, they have kind of a longer term view. They're they're confident in the things that they picked in the long term perspective. Although we know that these short term fluctuations and sometimes market conditions can present opportunities. And sometimes it can also uh, present excesses, right? So I think I think Warren Buffett said it, right? Be fearful when everybody's being very greedy, and be greedy when everyone's being fearful, right? So, uh, and that's some contrarian advice that I generally think is not a bad piece of advice. Although, let's take a look at light speed again, right? People are getting scared out of light speed, and it's it got down to I think about seventy percent off of its uh, its top. And, uh, you know, um, an index, when a whole index drops, that's one thing. When one particular stock drops on its own for non-market related reasons, those are very different uh, different things, right? So when people are being fearful about light speed, but there's some reason to have concern, that's one thing. If you're just having a market sell off because interest rates are going to rise a little bit or that I would, uh, you know, on an index approach, I'd say buying the dips is a generally a pretty good strategy. My, my son, uh, son number two, who uh, started off investing happened to uh, time getting into a financial mutual fund years ago, the financial mutual fund dropped about 20%. And he very astutely said, this is a great time to get in. And I was like, yep. <laughs> And within six months, you know, he had made, uh, I think it was like 30%, you know, on that uh, one purchase. And that was a little bit of timing, right? I don't think timing is, I think you can take advantage sometimes of it, but generally the best approach is the dollar cost, cost average into things. But when a sale presents itself and you understand maybe why that sale is there, you know what, bring the cash register a little bit, buy, 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 as Jim Cramer says, and, uh, you know, reward yourself, right? Because because getting things on sale does help your long-term returns. Absolutely. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you about is in Canada, we obviously have registered, unregistered accounts. So how do you look at cash accounts, um, RRSPs, TFSAs, and how would you allocate these three different options that investors have to those accounts? 
I think any of those options we talked about can be owned in uh, in your uh, in your RSPs, in your TFSAs, or in your uh, uh, non-registered trading accounts. Right? Um, they're all whether it's ETFs, index funds, or mutual funds, or direct stock ownership. Um, the one thing I would uh, put as a caveat to that is if you're dealing in Canadian funds, there are some Canadian uh, you know, uh, for example, example dividend tax credits, right? Where you know you would want to use those. You, I think they serve people best inside a. If you have enough money and already in your RSPs and your TFSAs, probably you're going to benefit from those. You know, in your non-registered accounts. Um, but if if uh, you're saving up and you're just able to put invest enough to top up your, let's say your TFSA or your RSP or both of those, then definitely own them in those, in those vehicles. I, uh, you know, for foreign type of things, I would tend to want to own them inside the RSP just because of the possible uh, taxation of dividends in a TFSA. Um, but if they're Canadian, you're not going to have to worry about that. If they're foreign, you have to worry about that, that, uh, paying of the, the uh, tax inside your TFSA. Um, but uh, no, I think they're all very suitable. What's really, I think, most important is that you decide on what you're going, what you're comfortable with, right? So, let's say, for example, uh, you're uh, you're a new investor, and you decide you're going to go into index funds, and that's how you're going to start off because you just you're, you're getting your toes wet. You're really not sure exactly what you're going to do. You're going to start off with the S&P 500 and the TSX 60, and you're just going to put, let's say, 200 bucks a month into each of those. You know, dollar cost average into them, automate it, and in the meantime, you're educating yourself, you're learning, you're talking to people. Maybe you get a financial advisor, and they start talking to you about different products, different things, and you see the value in them. And then maybe you want to get into a specialty mutual fund that maybe inter invest internationally, okay? Um, and maybe you happen to have, uh, maybe you're you work for a company in Canada. And they're offering you a great savings plan where you can buy their stock for a great price. You know, I, I think you'd be foolish to not take advantage of uh, owning that stock, right? And maybe because you're in that industry and you know about your company and you're getting lots of stock there, maybe you want to diversify a little bit and see if any of your competitors are any good, right? Especially if you have some knowledge in that field. So I think all of these things can go in any account, Joe. But what's more important, I think, is that you start off with you know, what is my plan of attack? Am I going to have start off with indexing and then know what you're going to do? And then if you start to branch out from that, then say, okay, well, with how much money am I going to start investing directly in stocks? Maybe you just want to take 10% of your overall holdings and, and do that, right? So maybe you'll say 90% index and then 10% stocks. Uh, and then maybe after a few years, you learn something different and someone friend of yours has a great experience with their mutual fund, you say, you know what, I'm going to use these mutual funds because they've done really well. And I know the investment person, um, um, they're my person and they've recommended this. I'm going to buy that and it's going to cover off this place in my portfolio. So maybe it'll do emerging markets because it's a superior fund, right? Um, and over the years, you know, it's just important that you, I think you keep track of the pieces that you have and do they all make sense together? Because this is a puzzle. This investment puzzle that you're building, right, is very, I think, important to, 
your outcome, right? And I think you need to understand what you're doing. So they all play a great role. They can play a great role. Or you can just stick to simple in index investing. Or if stocks is your thing, knock yourself out, right? But uh, I think it's it's really important that you understand what you're trying to build so that, you know, as you're building it, it's kind of like uh, designing a building. You know, you don't just go out and start building a building, right? <laughs> you, I mean, you, some small things you could probably do that with like a, a shed or something like that. But you design it first and then you give that to somebody and then you go and build it. And I think a, a portfolio is very much the same, right? Especially as time goes on. And if you're fortunate and your investments do well and maybe start making more money, you can put a little more away. I think it's always a good idea to have a roadmap of where you're going. Uh, that way you don't get lost along the way and, and maybe end up with a, a portfolio that is, let's just say a little less than streamlined right or haphazard so what you don't want to do i th i think is have end up with 15 different accounts that are hard to track and hard to monitor um i think keeping it very simple is a good a good way to go and knowing when you're buying something and how it fits into your overall portfolio you know it's just like building the building you're following the plan and the plan can change we change buildings all the time when we're building them, right? Projects are designed, and then halfway through the build, you say, well, got something wrong here, or something's changed, and we need to modify something. That's not a problem, but I think it's always a great idea to build that plan, work the plan, and then if the plan changes, that's fantastic, okay? So uh, I think that's a complicated answer to your, uh, your question, but uh, I think it's good advice. Yeah, I think it really is personal how you decide to build your portfolio. And it has yep. to match your personality and it has to match your confidence oh, yeah. in everything that you're doing because it varies. The reason I bring it up is because I was reading in some forums and the one guy mentioned that obviously he's into stocks. So what he does is he buys his, his stocks in a cash account, yep. watches them for a while, learns the company. If he starts yep. to like them, he'll throw them into an RSP. And then if yeah. he... He lets them, watches them there, lets them grow. And if he continues to like them, he takes them out and puts them in his TFSA because the thing that he was trying to protect was his contribution room in the TFSA, yep. which, yep. you know, is a lesson that I've learned because I bought some stocks in my TFSA yep. that have fallen and yep. I've essentially lost that contribution room as a result. Yeah. And, 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 and hey, I, I'm going to share a story with you. We happened one of our uh, TFSAs. Um, we bought a stock that, first off, we owned it in an investment account, not registered investment account. We did well in the stock, and I had to ring the register a little bit, take some profits, and we're going to move that stock. We're declaring a little bit of uh, capital gains too, right, and just being wise tax-wise. And we sold it, and then what we did is we, we couldn't buy as much as we had, but then we bought them inside our TFSAs. Well, that company, you know, it dropped. So when you when you lose TFSA room, that is, you know, you can't, first off, if you lose money in a stock in your TFSA, as you know, Joe, um, you can't write that off against future future gains. You know, you lose that room forever. Rebuilding it can be very, very difficult. That's tax-free money too, right? So I, I think there are a lot of people that have done some really risky things in their TFSAs. And if made... Let's use pot stocks, for example. You know, a couple of years ago in Canada, the pot stocks just went wild and, and it was the Wild West and people were making money hand over fist. Um, 
and it's very exciting. And a lot of people did very well. I, not particular for any good reasons necessarily, you know, um, but uh, they've turned the TFSAs into small fortunes, which is fantastic because um, it's all tax-free money, right? But the reverse is not so fantastic. You lose money inside your TFSA, and that is room that is, is, you can't just replace it, right? Um, and that's going to hurt you for uh, forever. So I think one of the best first rules of money management is don't lose money. The second rule of money management is refer to rule number one, don't lose money, right? So, <laughs> I, and especially for young investors or people starting off, I think for anybody, don't just go to casino, right? Try to stack that in your favor. I think what that fellow you were following was doing, um, I, I don't do that. I don't think it's a, it's a bad idea, you know, to follow something like that and then possibly move from one account to the other once you've got some trust in it. Um, you know, it's very, very interesting. I'll, uh, I'll kind of give that some thought, actually. That's a, that's a new one on me, but, uh, it, but it's, uh, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be prudent, right? When you put things, even inside your RSP, the, the thing about your RSP is when you put the money in, you get the, the tax incentive back, right? And the more money you make, the more you get back. So you, you you're kind of incentivized. And if you lose money in the RSP, it, it, you know, at least when you're going to take that money out down the road, you're just not going to be taxed as much, right? In a TFSA, you know, it, it's it's uh, doubly painful, if you ask me, to lose that, that, that room, you know? Absolutely. It's a double-edged sword because you lose the room and you lose the money, but also on the other side, if you can gain tax-free, then that's double that's amazing. Great. So, that's great, I mean, yeah. Who knows what? But anyways, with that being said, I think we covered a lot for today. And yeah. I'd like to thank you for coming back on the show. And hey. uh, whenever you want to come back, just let me know. Hey, always good to see you, Joe. Okay, take care. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you.